the Daniel Ruiz Tyson podcast. Hey, how you doing? This is the Daniel Ruiz Tyson podcast with me, Daniel Ruiz Tyson, show 45. 29th of January 2012, coming to you from SW8 London. Love, loss, and lattes. Lots of lattes. If you're a new listener, here's how the show works. I say a bunch of stuff every week, and often I'm wrong. Uh, be uh, be good to see January out of the way. Always a tough month, probably the toughest month of the year. Having said that, February got a couple of uh, uh, sort of anniversaries coming up. February's never a great month for me, but uh, January, man, that is a killer month and uh, this January has been no uh, no different than usual. Um, late show this week as mentioned um, in show 44 did manage to get away for a few days uh, six days actually uh, more of which later. Um, I think the problem with going away when you have storage eating is it's got to come off you know I, I stuck notes around the flat because uh, I'm so scatty, so I wanted to make sure I switched the storage heating off. Because uh, you know the problem with storage heating is it, it, it heats up the flat when you're not there. So uh, this flat, to be fair, is fairly warm during the day, but you know, come the middle of the afternoon, it's absolutely freezing. It's like living in the desert, basically. So uh, I've come back this afternoon. I've uh, knocked the uh, storage heater back on, but I won't be getting any heating until tomorrow. So meantime, uh, this show is coming to you with the. Uh, four tops on. I've got a vest, I've got a shirt, I've got a jumper, and now I've got a fleece. And I've also been reunited with my uh, neon green Alice band, which uh, I forgot to take with me. Uh, I think I'm going to get into the show straight away, actually. Uh, and uh, Song Overkill. Not really uh, had many contributions this week, I think. Uh, um, I don't think too many, well, very few people have actually taken me up on just contacting the show directly via email. But that's how it's going to be for the next uh a uh, few weeks probably so uh, if you've got something to say get in touch drt at westegg1607.co.uk just going to take a, a, a sip of the coffee i think that's the only thing i've missed while i was away was the uh the coffee from the local uh cafe so I've, uh, as soon as i got back i headed out and i uh, got myself uh, a couple of those that one's actually I've, I've just had to reheat this one in the microwave this second one very hot uh, I pulled the face. I, I wish you could see the face I pulled because, uh, as you know, as regular listeners will know, my uh, uh, range of facial expressions is severely limited. But I, I'm pretty sure that what I just pulled felt like a face, maybe a new face. I don't know. Anyway, uh, song overkill. Mine, I'm kind of cheating this week. Uh, and for new listeners, this is uh, song overkill is basically which song you've uh, overplayed this particular week and why. And mine is a, a song that's brand new to me. And uh, where I was staying, they were playing BBC Six in the evenings, the uh, uh, Steve Lamack show. And uh, I've never been a big music listener. Um, and I think that probably might be why I don't know as much about music as uh, many other uh, music fans. I was never a Radio 1 kid. Um, Capital, the local London station, I always thought was bloody awful. So there was only a f uh, maybe a couple of occasions where I got into music stations. Uh, Mid-90s, uh, when I was into drum and bass, I'd listen to a show on the Kiss, you know, Fabio, uh, Groove Rider, all those guys. They may even be the same guy. There may be uh, someone who's really into music who will recognise that as the same DJ and think, look, this guy doesn't know anything about music. But I'd stay up late on a Friday night to catch that particular show in the mid-90s. And uh, last year I discovered a, a show on Mixcloud, Chris Coker, which is a great show. But 
that aside i'm not a big music fan i think uh, sorry uh, a big music radio fan and i think part of that might be that i do get obsessive when i listen to something if i like it i will go and suddenly uh uh find a way of getting hold of that entire back catalog let me just switch my uh, printer off here which is uh, still on um and sure enough a uh, couple of nights of the uh, steve lamack show um, I don't know if you heard that. I don't know if I, I've switched the uh, printer off, and I did hear something through the headphones. Um, so that yeah, there were a couple of songs and uh, w- that I heard on the Steve Lamack show over a couple of nights, and uh, I suspect I'll be listening to more of, from those artists in the next uh, few days. Uh, so this week, yeah, one of the songs I heard, Lana Del Rey, "Born to Die." Um, I think she's uh, she's someone who's been accused of having uh, plastic surgery. She's only 25, but she's uh, very pouty, very big lips, very pretty. It's a and, it, and it's a very good song. And uh, my understanding is that uh, she's not the most commercial of singers, so uh, you know she's kind of doing the music that she wants to do, which is always good. It's always good when you see artists doing what they want to do. Um, so basically, I've only managed to play that song once. Um, I was uh, staying in a rural area and. Uh, the streaming wasn't great there, so I managed to get one play out of it. But I suspect that's the song that I will be overkilling this week. Um, Stinky Flute. Uh, I forgot her song Overkill last week, um, which she tweeted. So uh, I'll uh, I'll read that out now. Uh, she tweeted in The Gambler because I have a nine-year-old son with an unhealthy Kenny Rogers obsession. That is unusual. That is unusual. Um Madonna did a song as well called the, uh, the Gambler, didn't she? I think around 84 or 85. 85 probably, I think. Um, not one of her best songs, but it was a big hit. Anything that she did at that time was a big hit. Uh, Pete Domican. Domican, I'd never get that name right. Um, sorry, Pete. Um, yep, uh, his uh, song Overkill this week is The Fall with Bremen Nacht Alternative. It only took a few semi-drunken tweets from uh, At Crimson Avenger to provoke a full-on uh, fall fest. Mark A. Smith... <laughs> E. Smith remains the most miserable, awkward musical genius of the Manchester music scene. A constantly changing lineup. I suspect most of us are distantly related to an ex-member, but the music remains totally uncompromising. The shouted megaphone lyrics, the thrashy drums and bass-driven guitar work, the fall, or the mighty fall, as John Peel rightly called them, will never be a commercial band, but they will always have some of the best song titles in the world. Jawbone and the Air Rifle, Paranoia Man in Cheap Shit Room, and Mollusk in Tyrole being amongst my personal favorites um i think that is song overkill for this week um i think that may even be uh listener contributions for this week actually it's different show this week uh do keep your contributions coming in for uh song overkills for sherlock's um timestamp as well drt at westegg1607.co.uk uh let me give you a quick nectar points update uh been away for a few days not been in uh sainsbury's much this week not had much uh, call obviously but i uh, did pick up a few bits and pieces on my way back this afternoon what have i got uh got some uh colgate a can of blue bolt they were out of diet blue bolt uh didn't go to my usual uh branch uh niblets i don't know what niblets are why do i get niblets Well, it's just telling me points earned, four points. Uh, sometimes they give you receipts. They don't actually tell you what your uh, balance is. Now, let me see. If I, I do have a few receipts here if I've got anything else for you here. What date is this one? This receipt's from the 19th of January. This receipt's about 10 days old, so I was on around 41 points then. I don't know. I think I'm around the 80-point mark now. 
I think I've, 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 you know, since buying that observer after cashing in my five, uh, 500 points, I think, uh, you know, I've been picking up points steadily. I can't really complain yet. 20th of January, I was around 69 points. So, uh, yeah, I think I'm around the mid 70, early 80s mark. Uh, that's nectar, uh, nectar points for this week. Let me just put those over there. Hey, um, on my way back this afternoon, I saw about uh, half a dozen white middle-class guys. I was in central London uh, coming back. Coach uh, dropped me off at Victoria. And uh, yeah, on my way back to the flat, about yeah, about half a dozen middle-class white guys uh, with their oriental women. It, it always strikes me as a very colonial thing. It, it, it looks to me like they're, going on, they're either going on uh, gap years or they're going to work abroad to meet these women or, or, or they're going on specific websites for that it's uh the oriental woman's a race i never made any inroads with i i did fancy as a uh, regular listeners as my older listeners listeners who've been with me the longest will know that uh, i did fancy victoria principal when i was a kid she was in my uh, imaginary uh, seminal cop show which existed only in my head uh, and ran for 13 seasons uh from uh, 1980 to 1992 i i i had a huge crush on Victoria Principal, who was either born in Japan or Singapore. I don't know if she had any Oriental um, blood in her. She did look kind of Oriental, very, very pretty, although she's an absolute mess now. She's gone down the plastic uh, surgery route, which is, I guess, what happens when you uh, marry a, a plastic surgeon, uh, Dr. Harry Glassman, whose name I'll never forget. Funnily enough, I also had a crush on Belinda Carlisle about 10 years later. She also married a, a plastic surgeon. Her face, I think, has also changed. But anyway, um, yeah, actually, I wonder if my failure to make any incursions into the Oriental uh, uh, race has anything to do with maybe class. You know, uh, I do feel sorry uh, for other women who may be interested in these guys, uh, non-Oriental women. Um, you know, these guys, they obviously have a specific type. These girls, no matter what they do, no matter how good they look, whatever they're wearing, how much leg they're showing, you know, they're not going to get a look in. Well, these guys, these guys want what their great-grandfathers were banging. And, uh, you know, I feel sorry for these women. I don't know whether there's an element of that with me, you know, and maybe uh, Latin American women. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's a, it's a thing you want to try and reconquer what your, you know, grandparents lost after, you know, a couple of hundred years of uh, uh, running a, a continent, a country. I don't know whether there's anything in that. But uh, certainly uh, the uh, British white middle-class guy is absolutely infatuated uh, with the East. So remember last week I mentioned uh, my new neighbours upstairs. I was having a little moan about the noise, not unreasonably. Um, I'm not I, you know, I don't want to talk to neighbours, good or bad. I, I like to keep myself to myself when I'm in a building. I like to know that I can shut the door on, you know, on the outside world. And if I want to see people, I can see people. And, uh, you know, I like to see people. I just don't like to see neighbours. And uh, ideally, I'd, I'd rather not hear neighbours. But, uh, you know, people need to live. They need to walk about. They're flat. They need to, you know, watch TV. They need to unwind. I understand all that. I think I'm a very reasonable guy. Uh... When neighbours move in, uh, you know, 
basically when you move into a place you always want to show your place to your your, your friends um, so I'm mindful that this is a very tricky period for me because I, I might run into the neighbor in the hallway as uh, you know friends are visiting we've got this bizarre setup here where it's a you've got a gate an exterior gate no one can get in you buzz them in but the buzzer doesn't actually buzz people in through the second door so you always have to come you always have to go down anyway and let people in so it's a uh, you know, there's every chance that you could run into each other in the hallway. Uh, you know, you run into each other in the hallway. You got that situation where you may be walking up to your to your door. You may be making small talk. You 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 know, you can't pretend that you've lost your keys and you're struggling to find your keys to get inside your flat. I don't think anyone's going to fall for that. You got to go towards your door and confidently open it and not be afraid to. Uh, you know, show a glimpse, give them a glimpse of your hallway, but that, that 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 should be it. Just a glimpse. You don't want to show them too much. You know, my hallway looks probably it's not the prettiest room in what isn't a very pretty flat. You know, it's the antechamber. It's where the shoes come off. It's uh, it, it's where the uh, recycled bag of rubbish might sit overnight. Um, it's it's. I don't want people sort of judging the rest of the flat on whatever glimpse they might see of the communal area. So, uh, you know, I'm, I, I think I'm clever enough to, if I'm in that situation, I'm just going to open the door as little as possible, just enough for me to squeeze in. But anyway, look, I don't want that meeting in the communal hallway. I don't really want to be speaking to neighbours. So, you know, when I have a situation with neighbours making a lot of noise, it puts me on edge because it means I have to go up there. And it's not something I've ever done. Now, I'm mindful that people are moving in. I'm a reasonable guy. I cut them slack. But I think DIY into the night and after midnight, as was the case on three of uh, five nights, you know, that's a no. I knew that I had to let them know that someone was hearing all that, that there was someone below them. I have a placid temperament. I think the only time or the only instance in my life where I have a short fuse has been at work. So Sunday night it all started again, then Monday, and I'm thinking, you know, these guys, whoever they are, they're very, very noisy. I'm not happy with that. And, you know, I knew I was stepping out of my comfort zone. I knew I was going to have to do something. I kept hearing boxes being dragged out. Um, I figured they, I mean, they appear to be extensively refurbishing the flat, which is unusual given that, you know, rented accommodation, you can't really do much with it. Um, and you know, I spoke to a friend about it. He said, "Look, what if they're doing the whole house? You gotta, you gotta act now. You gotta let them know that you, you, you live below them." And I didn't really want to, you know, they're a couple. It might be their first flat. It's meant to be a nice thing. I didn't want to go, go up there spoiling this for them. But I couldn't be down below them under all that noise. It was just out of order. I don't know how anyone could be so stupid to be hammering away, you know, close on to one in the morning the first night. Um, now. You know, once I knew I'd have to go and knock on the door, um, I made the decision never to look out the window whenever I heard someone uh, leaving the upstairs flat. Because what if I did look out the window and I saw some massively built guy, guy built like a silverback gorilla? Would I have come? Uh, you know, would I have confronted him? I, I, when I went upstairs to knock on their door, I had no idea was what was going to step out of that door. I didn't want to know how big he was. I didn't want to know what was coming out of that room. And the advantage I had, though, is they weren't expecting, they probably wouldn't expect someone to go up to their house, their flat, and knock on that door late at night. So that immediately buys you a few points. They, you know, you're an unknown quantity to them as much as they are to you, but you've had the balls to go up there and knock on their door. You know, that will get you some respect. 
that will make them a little bit weary until maybe they start looking at the way you're dressed thinking well this guy look at the way he's dressed look at his shoes you know we this guy this guy's not this guy's in a bad situation now i've been staying in my clothes till late uh as the noise kept on building up because i figured i was going to have to go up there it was a question of how much i could tolerate and uh i was about to go to bed actually it was about 20 past 12 um i put on my uh, you know bed clothes my extensive bed clothes it was a i think it was a fairly cold night and then i heard them hammering away again and i thought i've got to go out there I, i've got to go out there i was just you know i was fuming so i put on uh, my new jeans put on my new uh, trainers didn't want my clothes getting slagged off whatever happened up there i could accept anything else i could accept them telling me you got shit hair because you can go and sort that out but uh I didn't want my clothes getting slagged off. I'm sensitive about that. You know, these are tough times. The noise had been building up after I heard the woman arrive. I don't know if she lives with him. I don't know. Um, I just know that when she arrives, it's quite late. Um, and also, you've got to be mindful that when there's a woman in the house, guys usually fight harder. No guy wants to be put down in front of their woman. Um, you know, a, a woman's presence does change things. So I was, I was mindful of that. And I went up there, and I'd never been... Uh, up there to the top floor uh, my side the first two floors my side of the building just has one door and then you have two doors on the opposite side but as I went up I found that there are two flats above me on this side so completely different arrangement to the uh, the bottom two floors and there's like a fire door I think it's a fire door a door that closes uh, closes out takes you to a, into a hallway and there were loads of flat packed boxes they'd been building stuff building loads of stuff that's why i've been hearing so much stuff and there was probably a lot more to build and uh, i thought well i mean there were so many flat packed boxes out there that i couldn't actually open the fire door probably so and, th and there wasn't much space a very tight hallway so if the guy took issue with me if he was going to get aggressive it was going to be very hard uh for me if i needed to to get out of that hallway so i you know it wasn't a great situation you know when you knock on someone's door you want to stand back you want to give them their personal space you don't want to be standing right you know right up by their door but i didn't have many options uh that you know the boxes were taking up a lot of that uh, hallway space the fire door wasn't opening properly so uh, you know it, it was a precarious situation i knocked seven or eight times i could hear them they couldn't hear me they were making so much noise uh i was worried about next door because there's another door right but uh, another flat right by them and on the saturday morning uh, a couple of days after the last show uh I was so at my wit's end as to how to handle this that uh, a girl who I'd seen before in the building, I wondered if it was her flat suddenly making noise. I didn't know what flat she lived in. And uh, I saw her and I asked if it was her. Um, she said it wasn't, that it, there were new people that had moved in. Um, they must be hearing this noise as well. So I don't know how they haven't complained. Maybe it's because I'm getting the brunt of it because I'm right below it. But I thought, you know, if she, she might have told ma her male flatmate she lives with two guys. So uh, it's not going to look good if you're asking a woman. Um if she's making noise really ideally you, you want to be asking the guys you want to show that you're not afraid to ask the guys i told her that i'd uh, go and check uh with uh, the particular flat that she uh steered me towards and uh, you know there's a bit of me wondering whether she might have checked with them whether i'd knocked on their door so uh, i did eventually knock on their door albeit two days later the weird thing is because they weren't opening their door because they couldn't hear me i then had to go all the way outside my house all the way outside the flat uh, through the gates and I had to stand in the middle of the street by which time it had gone half past 12 and uh, conduct this uh, inquiry over the intercom press the bell uh, press their buzzer a few times eventually they picked up you know I kept ringing because I thought if I don't do this tonight 
you know, this is going to be a problem for me. I'm not going to sleep. I'm going to be dealing with the same thing again tomorrow. I'd rather be doing this as the noise is happening so I can pull them up on it. The guy eventually picked up. Um, he, you know, he sounded polite. He said, can you hear the TV uh, as well? Uh, you know, he's very surprised that I'd heard the banging. Uh, I told him, look, I've, I'm exhausted. You know, I've been hearing this for a few days now. I think that show, you know, I've been very generous in giving them uh, four or five days to do all this stuff, particularly, you know, and, and they crossed the line doing this well into the evening. Um, and the guy used the word uh, when he apologised, unreservedly, which made me hopeful that he's reasonable. You know, Philistine probably isn't going to have that word in his repertoire. And also, I don't want them worrying that I'm going to be at their door all the time. It's a horrible way to live. I'm not like that. It's the first time, actually, that I've ever had to knock on someone's door. It's not the first time I've had reason to knock on someone's door, but I've never gone through with it. And, uh, you know, three years ago, I had a terrible experience. I had a nutter living below me, and I had a couple to my... Uh, to my left, who were just constantly arguing, and this guy would keep knocking on my door, and I, I used to say to him, Look, this isn't me, I'm not doing this, he was just, he was off his rocker, uh, and I didn't like living like that, I think, you know, when you, when you step into your flat, that's it, no one should be knocking on the door unless you've invited them round, and I don't want them to think that I'm going to do, you know, be, be up there knocking on their door constantly, but it's, you know, honestly, that it's, it's amazing how it can rattle you, and uh, four or five nights, I was thinking, has, has the atmosphere in this building really changed? Am I really going to have problem neighbours? I think they might be end up being noisier than the neighbours above me, uh, who, were, who were above me before they moved in. And I'll need to get used to it. But uh, I'm not going to get used to DIY close to one in the morning. That That's not going to happen. Um, I felt it was important for me that I... Uh, I made them aware that I had been knocking on their door, that, uh, you know, I wasn't some coward who was conducting this over the intercom. You know, and it is a big statement to knock at so on someone's door at half past midnight. So I'm hopeful I got my point across. Half hour later, I could hear them shagging above me. Um, so in a way, I'm pleased that what I... Me going up there to complain about the noise hadn't impacted upon them too negatively. I hope that, uh, you know, once they'd finished uh, unloading and, you know, shagging each other's uh, brains out, that they would think... As you know, as they come down post shag, you know that they would think, uh, okay, well that was a that was a good shag. That's good. We're going to be able to do this in the flat, but uh, yeah, we can't uh, can't disregard that guy's noise issues. He he's been and knocked on our door at half twelve at midnight. We've got to be mindful. Someone's living below us. So uh, I've been away obviously for a few days. So I don't know if they've turned the you know if they've kept the noise down. Um, I think the bonus of doing this over the intercom is that for now I've retained my mystery. I think I need to hold on to that. Um, I've been recycling all my stuff as well, the basics range uh, items, been doing that under cover of darkness. Uh, people will see the bins in the morning and they'll know that one of the 17 flats is eating badly, but they don't know who's behind it. Because I feel if I did that openly, if I, if I did that during the day, they're going to know I'm weak from doing that. Uh, not just that I'm at a point in my life where I'm struggling, but also the fact that, you know, the diet I'm on, it, it does weaken you. It, it leaves you uh, physically weaker. You know, the cheap food is weakening me. And if a neighbor sees that, they'll be thinking, you know what, we don't need to fear this guy. Who gives a shit if he knocks on our door? So, uh, yeah, I'm just taking out all my recycling under uh, cover of darkness, and we'll be doing that for the foreseeable.
You're listening to the Daniel Ruiz Tyson podcast, Love, Loss and Lattes, coming to you from SW8 in London, show 45, show 45. Hey, if I'd been in a band, and I've had this idea for years, and if you're in a band, I don't mind you using this idea, although I think it'll be very difficult to get planning permission from councils, but, uh, you know, if you've got a fringe... If you're some young kid and you got one of those stupid fringes, at least do me, um, at least have the good grace if you're going to use my idea to, to sweep your fringe back. Don't be taking this idea and, and, and performing with your ridiculous fringes. If I was in a band, and this idea actually, um, it comes from this, the old MTV Unplugged concerts that used to be quite fashionable in the 90s. Nirvana, Maxwell, those guys. And I remember someone saying that, uh, some music critic saying that, you know, when Michael Jackson was alive, that given how he was so beset by scandals, the thing he needed to do was just come back and not do one of his crazy big gigs with all the choreography and all that nonsense, but to do an, an acoustic show, an unplugged show, that would just highlight what a great voice the guy had, which seemed to... Uh, uh, be secondary in the eyes of most of his fans I think to, to the choreography you know I've never been one for choreography I just I want to hear someone sing I don't care if they can dance or not but so it's kind of born out of that and also years ago I'm talking about 17 18 years ago I went to this uh, great pub the Duke of Edinburgh I think in Ferndale Road not far from where I grew up Ferndale Road's a bit of a rough road certainly the Brixton end is but there's this pub that I didn't discover well it was a friend of mine who took me there and I wasn't aware that it was there, and I was about 22. And it had the most beautiful beer garden, probably the most beautiful beer garden I'd ever seen. And I thought, wouldn't this be a great place to play a gig? And the idea developed from there. And I thought, years later, within about five or six years, uh, you know, regular listeners will know that uh, for a time I was convinced I was in Tears for Fears. I thought, you know what, I play an acoustic set, but I play it in the garden squares. Now, I don't know too much about garden squares outside of London. I'm assuming they're not London-specific, but London has so many beautiful garden squares. And they first became something... They first became intriguing to me because when I was six, my mum used to take my sister and I to uh, Chester Square, 66 Chester Square in London, which is now the uh, most expensive square in the UK. Uh, all the Russians moved there, basically, um, in the mid-noughties. And this was the late 70s when we used to stay there on our summer holidays. My mum had a cleaning job there. There was a, a, a Malaysian, uh, or a, I think she was from Ceylon, actually, um, born there when it was called Ceylon. Mrs. Uh, Simpson, who I remember, it was 66 Chester Square. Mrs. Simpson was 66 years old. Big, domineering, colonial lady. Really nice to me and my sister. She lived in a basement uh, flat, which I always used to creep me out, actually, going down there. But uh, a few doors away, they were filming Edward and Mrs. Simpson, I think starring one of the Fox brothers, Edward Fox, was it? Um, and we used to go there in the summer holidays. They'd be showing the Grain Chill repeats. It was a, you know, it was a, it was a great time. And there was a, there was a garden square in Chester Square, and my mum had the key there. And I can't remember, to be honest, if I ever went in there. But my mum would uh, take the dog in the garden square, Daisy. I think it was a spaniel. And. Uh, gave me a fascination with why these places was, were limited to the public, um, which I, I, I think is very wrong. And I know some of these garden squares are opened up in the summer to the general public. I think they should be opened up to everyone, really. Obviously, you know, you'd probably need a warden 
so it doesn't attract the wrong type of people. But my idea would be to play a load of concerts there. And I'd start off with uh, Chester Square, I'd probably do Eccleston Square, Belgrave Square, all the squares in SW1. You know, SW1, uh, still, despite the hotel stay, still holds some resonance for me. It's still a magical area. Uh, for me, I understand the logistics. Um, it would be difficult. You're talking about closing down roads. You're probably going to have residents who don't want to be hearing that kind of uh, music. Uh, they might be in opposition. Um, you'd be playing to small audiences, maybe a hundred, couple of hundred people. But it'd just be nice. And I think the acoustics would be fairly good because uh, the, the garden squares tend to be blocked up, uh, blocked out by trees. So I think the acoustics could work. Uh, I think Chester Square, if I remember rightly, is a fairly small square. Uh, Belgrave Square is a lot bigger. I think Eccleston Square is a lot bigger. But yeah, that's that's what I'd like to do. If I was in a band, I would do a summer tour of Garden Squares. That would be my tour. I'd, I'd say to the record company, I'm not going. I'm not. I'm not touring this uh, this set around the world. I'm just going to do Garden Squares in London, and I'm going to travel there by bus, and I'm going to go back home. I'm not staying in a hotel. This is it. I think it works as an idea. Anyway, uh, where are we now? Tuesday, Tuesday. I, I went away on Tuesday afternoon. Just before I went, um, I went into. I was coming back from the cafe, did some work there in the morning, and I went to the local shop uh, a few doors away from where I live. And it happened upon this uh, very gobby teenage girl. Now, a lot of us are gobby. A lot of us were gobby as kids, rather. But this girl was like a street queen. She had an absolute answer for everything. She was on her phone. She had one headphone in the ear. She's opened her wallet, she's still talking on the phone, she's probably listening to music, because uh, um, it wasn't a hands-free, because she was actually talking on her handset, but she still had a headphone in her ear. Pulled out a crisp uh, £10 note to buy a box of fags, slowing down the queue, shopkeeper smiling, said something to her, and I thought from the shopkeeper's smile that he knew her, he's probably uh, familiar with her, she's from the estate across the road. She kicked off, she had an answer for everything. You know, using words like boss, and uh, I can't stand people when they talk like that. Boss, yes, bruv, yes, cuz, all that kind of stuff. Uh, she'd forgotten the usual South London uh, hair scrape back look, or the Croydon lift, I think that's called. Uh, you usually see that hanging outside of Greg's. Uh, Greg's actually, there's a there's a thing I was uh, mentioning to someone during the week. Greg's, I've noticed that all Greg's stores have their doors open now, regardless of the weather. Um, it doesn't matter. It, it seems they don't care if their uh, workers are actually freezing cold. Now I don't understand the logic of that. If I have to, if I'm determined to go to Greg's and if I have to open the door to get into Greg's, I'm going to do that. It's not going to dissuade me. It's not going to make me go elsewhere if the doors are closed. So I, I don't understand the whole kind of leaving all the doors open. You know, if you're going to have all the doors open, why not just have a kiosk in the street? You've gone to the trouble of uh, investing in shop premises. Close the doors. Your workers are cold. Now, you know, I don't go into Greg's because I think they're awful. But uh, if I like Greg's and the doors are closed, I'm going to go in. I, I, I don't understand this. Your workers are cold. L allow them to close the doors because I've noticed this in a number of Greg's. So it's obviously uh, common practice now. It's obviously the direction Greg's are moving in. Anyway, back to the news agent. Then the news agent says... Uh, Look, this man is waiting to the girl. 
so he's kind of brought me into this into this confrontation she then starts saying stuff about me without even looking at me she doesn't care she's absolutely fearless she might have glimpsed me possibly when i walked in that's all and in a split second she's made a judgment that i'm no threat to her the news agent made things worse he says look the man needs to top up his oyster car because he knows my 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 shopping behavior in there that's all i do in there i don't buy anything else just top up my oyster card with ridiculously small amounts and i'm thinking you know i've had to set to with a neighbor then albeit over the intercom the night before but you know to my credit i went to his door so let's not let's not downplay that let's give me some credit there um and i was drained by that because i'd been tired by by the noise for the four or five days i didn't want to get into an argument with a kid because i i, I don't think i'd be able to argue with a kid i think i'd probably end up threatening them and uh you know the thing about kids on a stage, they know so many people. They've got their network, uh, social network insights and that. You know, she'd probably be back there within half an hour looking for me with an army of uh, armed teenagers. So, you, you know, unfortunately, you have to be careful. You can't deal with a teenager in the same way that you would with an adult. And also, she just appeared to score high on the verbal dexterity front. She had an answer for everything. Uh, yeah, I was pissed off with the news agent. Why did she need to know that I was topping up my Oyster card? Why did she need to know... A that about me straight away she's thinking oyster car top up this is a man who doesn't drive uh, last sunday i went to see uh, john c went around there for dinner but i got lost around mitchum which you know he'd actually given me the wrong bus directions so i got lost in mitchum the bus terminated in mitchum i'm lost i had to call john for, for directions he picks me up he's got his uh, kid in the back yeah, you know, jokingly says, you know uh it's disgraceful that he uh, you know 40 year old doesn't drive and has to be picked up <laughs> You know, I don't want this girl thinking like my mate does. I don't want her thinking that I'm a disgrace because I'm topping up my Oyster card. I've never noticed this girl before. I suspect I will now. It always happens. You just start seeing someone in the area, become aware of each other. You suddenly start seeing them all the time. She's going to know about the Oyster card top-ups. You know, that's a little too much information that she knows about me. Um, the argument uh, continued between her and the news agent. Uh, the news agent's... I mean, they're probably kind of used to this level of grief. He told her to stop speaking like a Jamaican, which, you know, might have worked as a dig 25 years ago, but it's a bit late in the day for that. It's uh, it's not really relevant now, given that most under 25, uh, most under 25, you know, 25-year-old uh, working-class people now appear to have taken up Ebonics. Um, there are a lot of gobshites around here, but I was just impressed with... Not only how she had an answer for everything, but how she appeared to close off possible responses. She was very, very confident. I certainly wasn't that confident at that age. Um, I kind of fear that she might say something to me uh, that I just wouldn't have been able to deal with if I'd got into it with her. Like, you know, uh, F you and your, 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 your shit trousers. You know, you know she'd be right. Um, I'd, I'd packed my, uh, my uh, better trousers for, for the trip up north. So I was wearing my older jeans. You know, she's not going to give me the time or opportunity to tell her I have new jeans during that argument. I thought, at one point, I thought of a possible comeback. Uh, you know, I, I banged your mum before you were even born. But that would be so untrue. It, you know, I didn't want to say something that would be untrue. You know, late teens, early 20s, I was feeding off scraps. I had that breakthrough in the late 80s, what, what I thought was a breakthrough where I, you know, popped my cherry and I thought that would just open the floodgates. And it didn't. It didn't. So, you know... Even if her mum, uh, if I'd known her mum, it, it's it's unlikely I would have got something off the mum because you know I just wasn't confident in my late teens, early twenties. I wasn't I wasn't confident. Life in a fold-up bed, the communal bathroom, 
it does that to you leaves you low on confidence anyway um looking ahead to next week yeah i i think i mentioned last week timestamp uh would be uh what was it november 88 when i went to my first party um haven't had any um, uh, responses from listeners for that this week. Uh, I know there is some confusion because uh, I'm off uh, Twitter uh, for now, but uh, you can still get these to me, but you just have to send them via email, drt at westegg1607.co.uk. Put timestamp in the subject header. So uh, late Tuesday morning, uh, just after the situation with the gobshite, I packed a bag, I headed up north, the most northerly I've travelled within England actually, I've done Scotland, I've, I've, I think I've been to, well I have been to Edinburgh, I don't think I've been further north than Edinburgh, uh, but in England I don't think I've ever been past uh, Liverpool. Now I've travelled a fair amount, but always for a specific reason, never out of curiosity. Uh, I'm not an enthusiastic traveller. I think I'd probably be better at it now, given the sort of hardships I've gotten used to over the last few years. But I'm not the touristy type. I'm not one for taking pictures. I like the idea of settling down abroad in a city. I like, I think it's a challenge. And, you know, the idea of coming full circle and being what you know my parents were when they came, you know, when they came here, being immigrants, you know, having to learn how to function in a, an alien country, how to, you know, making new friends. Um, you know, I've got friends, parents who came here and, you know, were in a hotel for the first year of their time here, you know, as, as, as they try to, you know, gain a foothold in this country. That is a hell of a challenge. That is something I think I, I, I would be interested in doing. Um, I, as to whether I succeed, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I've never been one of those gap year types, Vietnam, India, all that stuff, never interested me. Um, I felt I needed the break. Uh, I'm disappointed in that I've never been a light traveller. I was going to take, uh, well, I took a, a load of stand-up to work on. I took my book. I was going to take two Murakami books, new books that I'd, I'd got. I took one, one of the new books, uh, but I barely read on the trip, actually. Actually, here's the thing. I finished the Wind-Up Bird Chronicle, uh, the Murakami book kindly sent to me by a friend. It's This is the book I think I should have read a year ago. I had In that time, I had so many books recommended which I bought and read, and, you know, some books were brilliant. Uh, you know, Bukowski, The Gingerbread Man. Um, I can't remember who wrote The Gingerbread Man, actually. So I, I read a lot of stuff. People said, you should read this. It, it's kind of where you are now in your life. But uh, The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle, I read that. And that, I think, is where I am in my life. Um, Mr. Ricardo, the, uh, the, the, the protagonist, the dropout, uh, his character just sort of spoke to me more than those other books. Probably spoke to me, and I could connect with his character in a way that I don't think I've been able to connect with any character as strongly as as, as I think the time I read Gatsby. You know, Gatsby wasn't just about the. You know, I read Gatsby over twenty years ago. I think it was one of those novels I resisted because it was always on the uh, English syllabus and, you know, you don't want to be told to read something, much like 1984, which is a great book, but, again, I didn't read that until I was an adult. Gatsby I read a lot earlier, and uh, the whole, you know, losing a lost love thing resonated with me. But it was also the fact that Gatsby was a, you know, he was a fraudster, he was a, he was a liar, he was a man who, there were many different versions of his past, and, you know... There were many different versions of my past because I made them up because it was very hard to, to tell people that you met of how you lived. Um, I, I didn't understand why we lived like we lived. And 
didn't understand why I didn't have my own room. Didn't understand why we shared a, a, a communal bathroom, uh, a toilet. I didn't understand why we had to leave our house to go to the bathroom. Uh, it, you know, I couldn't be honest with people about how I was living. So Gatsby really spoke to me. But Mr. Ricardo in the Wind Up, uh, Wind Up Bird Chronicle, you know, I think it helped me understand a bit more of what's happened to me in reading that. And if you're feeling slightly disconnected, and I don't really do book recommendations. And, you know, when this book was sent to me, it was a lot of pressure. It's a big book, over 600 pages. And you think, God, do I really have to read this? And I, it was about, you know, a couple of months before I actually started reading it. But, uh, yeah, a great book. I'm not a big fan of modern fiction. But... Uh, this was one of the best books I've ever read. Anyway, um, yeah, so Tuesday I went off, yeah. I've never been one for taking off like that. Instinctively make bad decisions, uh, but uh, don't often make uh, good decisions, <laughs> instinctively or otherwise. I just knew that I needed uh, to get away. I needed a, a change of scene. Um, but yeah, completely. Total inability to travel light. I packed this uh, holdall. It was so damn heavy. I got to the uh, the bus stop across the road from me. It said my bus was 12 minutes away on the uh, electronic screen. I thought, you know, I didn't want to put my bag on the bus stop seat. You know, I never do that. And yet I couldn't hold this bag too long. It was going to kill my back. It was so heavy. I had the laptop in there. I had a load of work in there, a load of clothes, pants, socks for every day of the week. I made some last-minute decisions to, to remove some clothes because I knew I was traveling. It was just too, too too much what I was taking. So I didn't want to put it on the bus seat, so I decided you know, I'd walk to Vauxhall. Um, knowing full well that by the time that I walked that you know mile and a half or whatever it was, that the chances were I'd only be catching the bus that I could actually wait for there. But I just thought I was going to get agitated. I only had uh, about 40 minutes to, to catch my coach. You know, it was credit crunch traveling five hours in a coach uh, not a good idea when you got sciatica um, but I had a fair bit of leg room um, yeah, people, I'm, I'm, I'm a good traveler I'm, I'm quite considerate people sleep on the couch so I wasn't you know I wanted my crisps I had crisps but I didn't eat my crisps um, anyway so I got to Vauxhall and of course I ended up catching the bus that I could have caught just outside my house and uh, you know the bag it was really really heavy very very heavy um, and yeah mentally difficult traveling on a coach for that long you got the toilet situation but i didn't i didn't go once and it, i guess it's something i can tell the kids i could tell the kids that i once went six hours without taking a leak because it was another hour after i got off the bus before i was able to go for a leak at my uh, host's place it was a mental battle uh, i wasn't sure whether i'd be able to do it but i just didn't want to take that walk of shame down the uh, you know coach aisle um the only time I think I've ever taken a leak on a coach was Oxford. Coming back from Oxford in 92, the coach, my, my trip to the Luke coincided with the coach going around a roundabout, and I just sprayed the cubicle. It was like a um, one of those uh, assassination attempts that you'll see in a mafia film where you know, the mobsters just burst into a room and just spray the room with bullets. It is obviously apparent that many people will do what they need to on, on a coach, wreck the coach. They don't care. Um, I got my own seat, which was good. Um, coach driver, you know, pointed out a little hammer for the window should something happen. He, he said it with no real clarity. And I was looking at these big, tough coach windows, and I'm looking at the little hammer, and I'm thinking, what well, these small hammers? Are they really going to work on, you know, on such a big, tough window? And 
me being a low-key guy, if there are people more vulnerable than me on the coach, am I going to have that personality that you'd kind of need if you're stuck in that kind of situation where you've got to save people, where you've got to rescue them? You know, or am I just going to look after myself and get myself out? I think I'd probably be helping people, but I think I'd be helping them in a very quiet way. I don't think I'd have the personality to lead from the front. I think if you're looking at the kind of personality that you need, really, if you're in a disaster, is Gene Hackman and the Poseidon Adventure. That's a film, actually, I've never finished watching. Uh, every time I watch that, something bad happened to our family. The closest I got was... Uh, it was on again in December 88, and I was about 10 minutes from getting to the end of the film when my cousins turned up to tell me that their uh, brother had died. Uh, always, uh, that, that, that was our Jinx film. I've still not seen the end of that. I think I got as far as... Gene Hackman dies at the end of that film. That, that's as far as I got, but that isn't the ending. Anyway, it took an hour just to get out of London. That's the problem with these coach trips. Uh, they always go to Golders Green, don't they? And they, they, they go through, uh, I think, Edgware Road. They go around the back of a uh, Marble Arch. And the traffic is just ridiculous. Anyway, the coach driver, he said uh, that in the event of uh, a problem, he'd be the first off the coach uh, and we should all follow him. And I thought, you know, he's very confident he'll be okay in the event of an accident. I mean, how does he know, you know, how the coach is going to flip over? Um, I was I was surprised by that. Anyway, so I arrived in the evening, uh, stereotype northern fog. I'm not going to do the stereotypes too much because I, I get annoyed when northerners, uh, you know, do Cockney accents and that. It's all a load of rubbish. Um, beyond saying it was like the opening scene of American Werewolf in London, you know, I'll keep it at that. But uh, it was a magnificent house, five-bed house, biggest home since 66 Chester Square, which I, I, I talked about earlier, my mum's work. And, uh, I mean, nothing prepared me for the scale of this house. What was unusual is that it's a new house. You don't often see... Well, I guess you do see new houses that are big. But uh, I was surprised that it was a new house. Uh, the dogs had been put in the outhouse. Always happens with me. Uh, people uh, change things extensively. Uh, once, uh, you know, I, I'll make it clear I'm not keen on animals. Uh, not just the, the, the fear of being bitten. But also, you know, dog hair. I, I don't like animal hair on my on my clothes. I so uh, credit to the place I think one of the few houses where there are animals where I couldn't smell the animals that, that that's good, they can be proud of themselves that, that's a good idea, most people who keep animals their house smells of animals um, the house belonged to two people who didn't have life handed to them on a plate, which I found interesting I think it might have been easier Well, no, yeah, it might have been easier for me to be sitting here and bitching about, yeah, rich people uh, you know, five bed house blah blah blah, but these are a the, the people who, who, who bought this house literally a rags to riches story. And uh, I think someone a bit more positive than me could be inspired by that. I'm not saying I can't do that. I'm not saying I can't get to that level. I suspect getting my study and dishwasher back, you know, from the glory years in Putney uh, in the late noughties. I think that's probably the best I can do. And that's, you know, I probably don't need to do much more than that, if I'm honest. It's the, it was the kind of big house you'd revel in as a kid. It was like something out of the line, the witch in the wardrobe, without the wardrobe. It, you know, half the time, I didn't even know where my host was. It reminded me of being a kid and I'd look, uh, you know, uh, friends would come to visit me or my English friends would come to visit me. You know, we were all in the same room. That, you know, <clears throat> my mum couldn't tell them I wasn't there. Of course I was there. She could see where I was. And yet I'd go to their houses and uh, their parents would say, oh, I don't know if he's in. And I'd be like, how can you not know if he's in? One, he's young. He's my age. How can you not know he's in? But two, how many rooms do you have in this house? And, and, you know, and the thing is, they had plenty of rooms. So I'd follow the mum in. We'd look for them in various rooms until we eventually would find my friend. And that's what this reminded me of. 
Except I'd look for them and I couldn't find them. This place had an outhouse, had a kitchen, two utility rooms, a dining room, two front rooms, massive hallway, uh, downstairs, uh, downstairs loo, as well as I think at least five bathrooms upstairs where it had five bedrooms, uh, ensuite bathrooms. It was it was just crazy. There were what I well I called them curtains. Apparently there were drapes, blinds as well, multiple massive TVs, remote controlled gates, which made me feel like Bruce Wayne going through those gates. It was, a, it was an alien world to me, but it was also, you know, the understanding I got a world that was also alien to these people as they were growing up. I mean, they've done incredibly well to elevate themselves, to, to, to you know, to get into that world. There was a, a stillness, a, a quietness that I don't think I'd ever experienced before. I mean, I'm alone here in the flat every day, but it's usually rowdy outside. You've got police sirens, you've got the omnipresent 24-hour police helicopter by the first night here up north. Um, I knew I'd made the right decision, getting away from things. You know, I missed the coffee. I missed the cafe, but, you know, I'm seeing that every day, and this was about seeing something new. But I did, I did miss the coffee, but I knew that I deserved the break. I was still, you know, doing three, four hours a, a day, you know, looking for that nine to five position, uh, you know, and, and, and making some headway with that. But beyond that, I just thought, well, I'm not really going to get much more done. But that's not a problem. That's not a problem. It, it, it probably would be a bigger problem if I felt that I could just carry on doing everything that I was doing here. I probably did need some kind of break. You know, it's it wasn't a holiday, but it's the closest I'd come to a holiday since 2007. These trips do, you know, attack my awkwardness, uh, my issues. I think what clinched me going up there was knowing that I had my own ensuite bathroom. I couldn't have done it any other way. Uh, there was, um, you know, everything was great. There was just one loo roll in there, which was slightly awkward. Uh, you know, I'm thinking, what if I used it all? Was I meant to ask for a new one? There was no clarity on that. That was awkward. I didn't want to be asking my host for a new loo roll and giving some sort of insight into my behavior while I was there. Um, I would rather have had two loo rolls in there. Wouldn't have needed the second one. Um, I was only there for six days. But uh, it would have meant that I knew I could relax and knew that I didn't have to have a, a conversation about loo roll. There was no chance of getting to the shops and buying my own one covertly because, you know, we were miles away from anywhere. I would have had the peace of mind knowing it was there. Um, you know, what I did is I, I took my own, uh, you know, stand-in loo roll. Um, I'll come to that in a minute. Um, I'm, I'm mindful uh, that the situation with the loo roll did happen in the hotel. There was one night where the cleaner hadn't done their job. I hadn't had a new loo roll for a couple of days. Um, and I had to ask for a loo roll. And it was given to me by uh, the, the young kid on reception who never knew anything about what was going on in that hotel. He would just talk to me about his uh, dental treatment and his dental plan, which involved getting a, his uh, Invisalign brace in Budapest. Um, and it reminded me of that. I was, I was, I was a bit worried there. Um, you know, it is what goes unsaid when you're a guest that troubles me. You know, uh, you're a host. You've got people staying over. Um, and all the bodily functions that these guests have in their normal everyday life that everyone has, they will be continuing as normal, but they will be going, you know, they will be happening under your roof. There's no other way. I wish there was. Um... Yeah, you know, I had a few stomach rumbles out there, uh, which were, you know, picked up on. Um, 
but yeah, the whole guest thing, you know, uh, guests and unexplained absences, you can kind of guess what they're doing. It's, uh, I think it's what would probably, even if I had a big house and I was able to entertain people, the their, their unexplained absences, I'd probably want some sort of, even though I'm not a fan of small talk, I think it probably necessitates some small talk as to, you know, why explaining why have you been gone for, for 20 minutes? Where have you been? What have you been doing in the house? Um, and then you wonder what kind of, you know, what does your host think when they go into the bathroom and they find some of that loo roll still there? How much were they expecting to find? Uh, what do they make? Uh, or what do they uh, gauge from the amount of loo roll that they found? Do they leave it for the next guest? I have so many questions about loo rolls. Um, I didn't know how asking f- for another loo roll would work. Um, you know, I just didn't want it looking like I'd gone through an entire loo roll. So, you know, I took my own loo roll as a backup so they didn't know that, you know, I mean, they didn't know that I was using it, uh, my own sort of standing roll, as it were. So I didn't use their loo roll every day. I used some of mine. You know, you bring it back with you. You don't leave it there so they realise what you've done. Um, but it's just, for me, it's important for your host to see that you haven't caned their loo roll. You know, I don't want them getting some sort of misleading insight as to your your toilet habits, basically. And then you got the first thing that happens when you leave is people clear out the room. And in this instance, the bathroom. No one else was in there for six days. It's an ensuite bathroom. It was mine for six days. You know, what will they make of the body hair? I try to wash a lot of it down. But uh, the one thing about the shower is a great shower. But, it, you know, the water didn't... It didn't... It, it took a while to drain. So, uh... I doubt that they've ever seen anything like that. They might be calling other people. They might be taking pictures and sending them to their friends, saying, "Look at it! Look at this guy! Look what stayed round ours! Look at the hair! He's from Spain." It was a great week, though. Um, it was quiet. I didn't do much. Like I said, still job hunting. A couple of calls. Uh, reacquainted myself with Cravendale, which was good. Hot chocolate, not so good. Uh, the hot chocolate was great, but you know, I can't be going down the hot chocolate route again. You know, uh, any addiction. And uh, you will know that I do build up addictions very quickly. Any addiction that's going to put on weight, I've got to stay away from that. Uh, so the Cravendale, the hot chocolate, it was the summer of 2010 all over again. But uh, uh, just in a big, bigger surroundings, not in room 11. The silence was weird, though. The silence was weird. I woke up to sheep in the field right uh, opposite my room. I had some of the best scrambled egg I've ever had. Um, organic uh, range from a nearby farm host would make it and as a you know as I tucked into the scrambled egg on the toast that they the host would turn on the TV in the kitchen allow me to masticate maybe louder than I might have uh, might have done in the quiet kitchen which was a nice gesture I like that I like that 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 showed some some thinking on uh, my host part that was a nice touch um, you know I'm good at scrambled egg but uh, it's it's basics range eggs this was, I mean, these eggs were beautiful that I was having up there. Uh, great meal on the first night. Pheasant casserole. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big game fan. Uh, if I'd known my host better, um, I'd probably have been a bit greedier with a pheasant casserole. But uh, I love game. I mean, it was just, you know, it was just, it was quality. Uh, I, you know, I barely read. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm glad I only took the one book. I barely read out there. Um, I watched quite a few films. Um, and in the end, I realised it didn't matter that I didn't do half of what I planned on doing. Um, you know, I just relaxed. I try to switch off in a way that I, I, I find hard to do. And I'm hopeful that I'm hopeful that I will feel the benefits of that. Um, 
there was a job uh, called me while I was out there. Uh, it was like I was 12 again. Um, remember, uh, I think I've said before on here that back in the early 80s, people would ask me where I lived. I'd give them the full address, including postcode. Until a childhood friend said to me, you, you don't do that. When people ask you where you live, you don't give them the full address. You just tell them maybe around the corner, be vague about it. Well, I kind of found myself doing that again. Uh, this job called, and I told them where I was. I, uh, you know, I told them I was out of London. Absolutely no need for it. Uh, absolutely no need for it. But yeah, good trip. few setbacks, some criticism of my hair. A reference to how I looked about 32 now, which, you know, for a soon-to-be 40-year-old, that's, that's, you know, that's good going. But the gap used to be 10 years. This credit crunch, what this credit crunch has done, it's accelerated the aging process. It's accelerated it. But I found some peace up there, found some thinking time. I think I'm on the right track. I didn't need to go up there to confirm that. I just felt that I needed to see something different. Um, you know, the coach journey through London, I didn't like that. It took me into North London, took me into where I was going to be uh, probably living last year. Uh, that desire for a change of scene, that is still there. That is still there. And I think that was part of the last relationship was it offered me a chance to be somewhere new not just with someone new. And that desire has been there for some time. And I, you know, I, th I, th I think to eventually get through all of this, I will need some, you know, somewhere new. I was just humbled by the warmth and hospitality I encountered up there. Seriously, you know, I'm not overplaying this. I was moved. I, I struggled with it. I think that's what I learned. Uh, I'm not sure I was looking to learn that. I'm not sure I was looking to confirm that. It's uh, that warmth has been missing from my life uh, for some time. Uh, that warmth wasn't even there when there were people in my life that should have given me that. And uh, maybe because I was failing, I wasn't giving that to, to the people that I was expecting that from. This last year has been about trying to find a way through this. Uh, and I'm finding that way. But what I, what I realized the last six days, I've been finding that way with little or no warmth in my life. And what happens is because you are self-absorbed, because you are constantly thinking about limiting the mistakes you're making, you find yourself becoming quite mechanical in the way you do things. So uh, I found leaving hard. Uh, it was like uh, Bath after Christmas. I was only up in Bath for a couple of days, but it was two days away from the house and I'd been with my uh, cousin in Guildford before we went up to Bath. Um, and I struggled to get back into my routine after coming back here and I am very much a creature of habit I can just about cope with the loneliness here because I'm used to it and I'm co you know I'm, I'm hoping that this this won't be the same I'm hoping that you know just tomorrow night straight away uh, story cheating will be back and I will get back into my routine and do the things I need to do and uh, yesterday I was feeling a bit down Saturday I was feeling a bit down because I'm thinking well this is going to end uh, you know I've, I've got to go back but then I looked at it well the fact is, I've had five, six days here that I wouldn't have had otherwise, and it's been really nice. It has been really nice, and look at it that way. I don't know if this break will have any long-term benefits, uh, whether I'll feel whether you know I've recharged my batteries, but uh, maybe it's just enough to have gotten away for a bit. Maybe it doesn't need to be any more than that. So I came back this afternoon, got some shopping in. The bag was just so heavy. I, I put all the shopping in the bag. Had to put it. Had to put the bag down on the floor at Sainsbury's. Had to put it down at a bus stop. Put it down in the communal hallway when I got back in. It's now in the antechamber. I don't know what to do with a bag. 
it's been a good bag for me. This is the bag Mickey got for me the night he helped me move out of the hotel in December uh, 2010, night before Christmas Eve. So I'm fond of the bag. It's It's been with me through some difficult moves. But it's now in the antechamber. I don't know what to do with her. I usually put her in a suitcase, but I don't want to put that bag in a suitcase. I don't want to wash it in my washing machine either after it's been on the floor. I don't know what to do with it. It's like taking a partner back after they've been with someone else. Um, I don't know. I don't think it's going to be a quick decision. Had an email here um, during the course of recording uh, tonight's show email from, uh, as far as I'm aware, a, a new listener, uh, Annie, uh, who I think might be based in the States. I'm not too sure. And um, she's asked a, a few questions, which I'm only too happy to answer uh, as best I can. Um, what podcast do you look forward to the most is her first question. Um, I think I'm a uh, big football weekly fan um i listen to loads of football podcasts um i can't bear to watch uh, football shows on on tv now uh i'm talking about soccer uh and um you know shows over here like football focus which were great shows in uh, years gone by are now absolutely awful to watch so i get most of my sort of football information off uh you know online and from podcasts and uh, i think guardian football weekly um uh, which was uh, created by uh the brilliant Sean Ingle, you can follow on Twitter. I think it's uh, my favourite show. I like the World Football Phone-In as well, which has an American contributor. Um, oh, God. Uh, the Big Wheel, Sean Wheelock. Uh, um, Bill Burr, his Monday morning podcast, I think is brilliant. He's, uh, you know, I just think he's an incredible comedian. He's one of your guys. Um, my favourite stranger, although I think that show might have finished now. Uh, let me just have a look quickly on my iTunes to see what shows I, I particularly like. Um, a, a lot of sports shows, boxing shows, Steve Bunt's Boxing um, is, a, is a show here. Robert Elms' podcast uh, from BBC London Station. Um, uh, the Off the Ball football show. So a lot of football shows, I think, basically. Do you feel you appreciate your aunt enough? Yeah, I do. And... I'll tell you why, because I think I learnt my lessons from when my mum passed away. I don't think I, I fully appreciated my mum. I, I think uh, I should have at that age. You know, I was in my uh, mid-twenties. I should have known better. I think, you know, I, I certainly loved her and I knew what she uh, meant to me in my life. But, uh, you know, I learnt a lot of things, but I learnt them after she was gone. And, uh, you know, obviously uh, that's, uh, you know, I regret that. It took me so long to learn a lot of things, but I've learned those lessons, so I'm aware of what I have with my aunt. And uh, you know, she's been brilliant for me over uh, over you know many years, particularly since my mum passed away. But over the last uh, couple of years, you know, when when things went tits up for me, she really uh, came to the fore again when she didn't need to. I mean, because she'd done that already after my mum and my dad passed away within a couple of years. So yeah, I think I do. And I ask her lots of questions, and I learned that from when my uh, uncle, my dad's older brother, passed away. Um, I made sure I tapped him up for a lot of family history, and I'm doing that with my aunt, you know, because being here there's so much I don't know about my family's origins and a lot of uh, things that I grew up 
believing or, or thinking were, were were true um were not necessarily true and it's uh you know spain after the civil war was uh was a was a difficult time and i think that is the problem in terms of asking people of that generation certain questions they don't want to talk about certain things um you know, so I, I do tap my aunt up a lot for 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 a lot of information, and you know, like I say, she's uh, uh she's been uh, uh brilliant for me. So uh, yes, is is my answer. Uh, what do you think of the comedian John Oliver uh, and author Mark Haddon? Who are some of your favourite comedians and comedic authors? John Oliver, I'm not a big fan of political comedy, and uh, I bang on a lot about Oxbridge and uh, he's one of those uh, he went to Cambridge and uh, just that does it just gets my back up it's so prominent in British TV it's so hard to break through in comedy here I've said this time and time again it's probably my 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 issue with shows like have I got news for you which back in the day were brilliant shows but it was the establishment laughing at itself and uh you know, John Oliver belongs to a world that I don't recognise, so uh, I'm not I'm not a fan at all. Um, uh, Mark Haddon, I read the Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, and uh, I really enjoyed it. I don't remember too much about it, I have to say, but I remember I read it some, you know, quite a long time after all the reviews. I'd, I'd read all these uh, brilliant reviews of it, and uh, I wasn't disappointed. But uh, I haven't read any of his other work. Uh, uh, who are some of your favourite comedians and comedic authors? Uh, I think Bill Burr, I keep mentioning him, I just think he's uh, he's incredible. I think he probably would have been better known had he been around in the, uh, in the 80s. I think he's my favourite comedian since Dennis Leary. Um, I know there's the whole big Dennis Leary versus Bill Hicks thing. And uh, I don't think there's too much doubt that Dennis Leary was heavily influenced uh, by Bill Hicks. Um, you know, and I know that's a controversial area. Um, and I don't dispute that, uh, but I just feel that Dennis Leary, uh, and I don't like saying this because I'm someone who's often, uh, uh, I, I suppose my delivery on, on, on stage probably uh, leans more towards the Bill Hicks when, you know, I'd love to be, uh, I'd love to be like Dennis Leary. I just thought he was an amazing performer and it came as no surprise to me when he got into acting. Bill Hicks was harder to warm to and I, I don't think I'm an easy person to warm to and I'm not... I'm comparing my personalities to them rather than my stand-up. I'm not that arrogant. Um, in terms of personalities, I can imagine Bill Hicks got a lot of backs up. Dennis Leary, more confrontational, but kind of funnier, very cartoon-like. And uh, Bill Burr, I just love his his anger. It really does uh, remind me of Dennis Leary. British-wise, um, I think Jerry Sadovitz I always liked. I, I like the fact that he never made any concessions I like the fact he can't even get on British TV now ever since his uh, uh, Channel 5 show got taken off the air about 10 years ago. So I like those kind of... I like comedians who have to be comedians, basically. They're not doing it for their career. They're doing it um, because they have to, because otherwise they'd probably be going crazy. Um, comedic authors... Uh, I'm not... Most of the stuff I read is actually very serious, or, you know, the, the, the classics or ghost stories... Uh, J.D. Salinger, uh, Catcher in the Rye. Uh, I, I just, I loved that book. I loved that book. Um, I, I think I only appreciated how, how great it was years later. Um, obviously, I'd heard so much great stuff about it at the time. I thought, yeah, it's 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 okay. But it gave me a certain style with my work that I was looking for at the time. And I, I, I think it's a, uh, a brilliant book. And I'd have to say, Murakami, uh, 
I think the thing that really got me into the Wind Up Bird Chronicle initially was that it just read like some of the best observational stand-up I'd ever I'd ever come across absolutely brilliant and uh, his new book that I'm, I'm reading which was recommended by a listener hard-boiled wonderland and the end of the world I mean I'm only uh, a dozen or so pages into it but it's got a very funny opening sequence about uh, uh, you know the larger ladies shall we say and uh, yeah he's, he's very very funny um, and I've actually got another book of his as well uh, what have I got a wild sheep, a wild sheep chase, actually. Um, so uh, I've got those two books to get through, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, what are your feelings on the smell of fresh baked bread? Not a smell I'm familiar with. Uh, I will welcome any kind of bread, but yeah, fresh, fresh baked uh, bread is obviously lovely. Uh, you know, uh, back in the back in the glory days, I'd always get some, uh, you know, get a freshly baked baguette and uh, enjoyed it, enjoyed it. And uh, you know, I'm hopeful that, uh, you know, those days will come again. Um, Annie uh, concludes her email saying, I'm under the impression that you are somewhat stringent and careful with your fashion guidelines, but have you given serious consideration to foregoing fashionable shoes in favour of seriously comfortable ones? I know this is difficult. I greatly reduced my wearing of high heels. It still is a bit of a letdown when I look in the mirror, but comfort does have its rewards. I have done that actually. I've been doing that for, for a while. I've got uh, the boots I took with me up north were you know, very, very ugly boots. I've now got new boots, which are, you know look a bit better, but they're you know they're they're done with the foot injury in mind. I can no longer wear you know the uh, you know anything remotely approaching uh, fashionable. So those days uh, those days are gone. Those days are gone, and uh, I think it's probably why I have to steer clear of uh, arguments with uh, you know people half my age because they will just look at what I'm wearing on my feet and think, who are you? Where are you from? Have you crash landed on this planet? How difficult is it to get? stylish trainers i mean i'm probably wearing trainers now boots whatever they are i'm wearing those kind of hybrid walking kind of boot things like merrells i think mine might be uh might actually be high tech but uh, i'm wearing the kind of stuff that you know my mum used to make me wear before i uh, had that fateful day where i stepped in a, a huge dog stall on clapham common and my mum finally had to buy me a pair of adidas in the uh late spring of 84 that's where I am now, uh, as a as regards to uh, footwear. Uh, Annie can, uh, finishes off by saying the list goes on, but I'll stop here. Um, that brings me to the end of uh, this week's show. Uh, details uh, of how to order shows one to thirty are on the blog sixteen oh seven westegg.wordpress.com. The next show should be out on Thursday. Back to normal show forty six. Um, you can listen to the show in the usual way, iTunes, Jellycast, Mixcloud, Stitcher Radio. Only way to get in touch with the show for now is via email drt at westegg1607.co.uk. Uh, uh, I think Mixcloud does an automatic tweet when once the show is uploaded onto Mixcloud, so bear that in mind. That's not me tweeting, that is uh, Mixcloud doing it automatically. Uh, thank you for listening. Um, keep your emails uh, coming in. Timestamps is November 88. Get your song Overkill's in Sherlock's uh, overrated shows uh, currently on air and much lauded that you think are no good. Thanks for listening. I'm Daniel Ruiz Tyson. Next week, people. Next week. Mm-hmm.